All right, please take your Bibles. It's good to see everybody. Uh, keep uh, Jill in prayer and actually Melissa as well. And uh, Lenny passed, you know, since uh, recently. Lenny, many of you know Lenny. He was our sound guy for years and years and years. Uh, he's an amazing uh, brother. I say is because he still is, lives, yeah, lives, amen. I mean, Annie, you and Sonny, he lived with you guys how long? How long? 21 years. And you guys, he, you, guys, he, you guys saw him close up. He really loved the Lord, didn't he? He's an amazing, remarkable guy, and he was so uh, dedicated, man. He, he hated not being able to be here, but his physical well-being was, you know, he, he was dependent upon uh, Jill and the family over there, Steve, who, family who loved him so much and took really good care of him. Uh, but we, he loved the Lord so much. He's with the Lord. And so uh, keep them in prayer. We've had four, not four deaths in people that were a little bit older, but also not quite so old. Uh, Anita went in a way that had nothing to do with her age, you know. But uh, they all lo- love the Lord, you know. So praise God. Let's get into the Word together. First Timothy chapter 4. Speaking of Lenny, <laughs> uh, man, and, uh, Anita... And also, uh, Greg Key, man. Uh, and, I mean, over and over again, I mean, they just, those were all people that just radically loved the Lord, but loved His Word, you know? Loved His truth. Amen. And also, uh, Kimberly uh, also loved the Lord, loved His Word. And, and praise God, man, you want to hold fast to the Word. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, because 1 Timothy 4 is about being devoted to the Word of God. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4... As we work our way through the book of uh, 1 Timothy, a letter from Paul to Timothy, a young pastor, about holding down the fort for Jesus. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, But in case I am delayed, I write to you that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So Paul is giving Timothy destruction as to how to lead the church. And in chapter 1, he emphasizes makes a strong emphasis on what the church believes and how to watch out for strange doctrines and make sure the church is established in the truth. And he warns about false teachers. A couple even names them by name. He marks them, as Paul says in Romans 16, mark and avoid. Mark those who cause division, not according to sound doctrine, and avoid them. Uh, And then uh, in chapter 2, he talks about Praying for everybody and the, the, the universal love that God has for everyone and his desire to save all people and uh, the fact that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all people. Uh, and then in chapter 3, uh, he l- talked about, uh, you know, basically, you know, the church and how it's to function in regard to roles of leadership like elders and deacons and so forth. And then in chapter 4, he gives these solemn warnings about the last days, how there'll be a falling away. And there'll be a departure from the faith. And we looked at some of those verses again. Uh, we looked at that a few weeks back when we actually really got into the first few verses. But last uh, time, I looked at four different Greek words that are used and translated fallen away or, pos- or to turn away that are specifically used in respect to the end of days. Whether it's 1 Timothy 4, whether it's Matthew chapter 24, with Jesus' words, or Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he uses apostasia. Here he uses ephistomy, here in 1 Timothy 4.1. Jesus used the word scandalizo in Matthew chapter 24. 
And then we also see a word used in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 by Paul, a different word, where he talks about they'll turn away from sound doctrine, having their ears tickled. They'll have teachers, turn to teachers that will tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear. And that's basically a form of Christianity, like, for instance, the prosperity teaching, you know, where, hey, God will make you rich, man, you know, just give this much and follow these rules, these laws of attraction, so to speak, which is right out of the New Age movement, and you'll get rich quick and all these things, where the Lord is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. And uh, we looked at that, and we looked at other verses and uh, the warnings in 1 Timothy 4, how there would be false teachers who not only would lead people astray, but they would teach that, you know, you can't marry, you know, you can't eat certain foods to be spiritual and so forth. And Paul just talks about how everything God made is sanctified through prayer, right, and through thanksgiving, right, and through the Word of God. It's acceptable. We pray about it, but it's sanctified through, uh, you know, prayer. You know, when you give thanks to the Lord and, and, and through the Word of God, God's Word stamps it as sanctified, as set apart for use. And we got into that, and I don't have time to really review all of those things, that, the points we made. It's all there in the message. And then we went to verse 6 and 7. We hit them for a little while. And I want to spend a little bit more time on 6 and 7 and also cover verse 8 and also uh, cover, uh, you know, Verses 8 and 9. So in verse 6, it says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, Paul writes to Timothy, in pointing these things out, or these things to the brethren, out these things to the brethren, you will be a what? Good servant of Christ Jesus. So, and I said, man, we want to be good servants of Jesus, amen? So we want to point these things out to the brethren, amen? That's why I rehearsed them, or I went over them all over again from uh, the... the time we got together before, uh, again, because they're really important because the Holy Spirit speaks of these doctrines of demons in the last days, you know, seducing spirits. And then he goes on to say, constantly what? What's that next word in the middle of verse 6? Constantly what? Nourished on the words of the faith and of what? The sound doctrine which you have been following. Now, it's interesting, you guys, because there's an emphasis on how we're supposed to be nourished by God's word, amen, and by sound doctrine. And this is important that we understand this because, why? Because Paul said in the last days, men would, be not, would turn from their truth, sound doctrine that is, and they'd heap themselves teachers that would, as I mentioned earlier, tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear. He knew that that apostasy was coming when Christianity had been around long enough to where it could become twisted into something totally different than it really is. And he wants us to be nourished on the word of truth, the word of faith, sound doctrine, amen? And that's critical because there's such an emphasis, and this is what blew me away. When I was a young Christian, long before I was pastoring, I was blown away by First and Second Timothy and, and Titus because there was such an emphasis on sound doctrine Throughout, I mean, just about every chapter in every one of those letters for the pastor. And I was blown away. I was like, man, there's such an emphasis. Why don't you hear this from the pulpit, you know? Why don't you hear this emphasis in the church? And it was around that time as a new Christian that the word faith movement was becoming incredibly popular. And you would hear slogans like doctrine divides, you know? You know? 
Doctrine is divisive. I remember in the early 80s, might have been late 70s that it was written, but I saw a track in the early 80s written by Keith Green called Unity. I think it was called Unity at What Cost? And there was everybody trying to squeeze together and be one. But as they're trying to get in like this phone booth, you know, I think it was like a phone booth if I remember right. They're like a guy's dumping a track called, it says repentance into the trash can so he could fit in. And we do not sacrifice sound doctrine for the sake of unity. Amen. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, Paul said, mark those who cause division, not according to sound doctrine. Paul said, there must be divisions among you to show who is approved. To see who's up, who's right, who's, who's truthful, who's preaching the word. So we're supposed to make sure that, because sound doctrine is poison. And he uses the idea of being nourished. And he was just talking about, I think it's important, when you realize the first five verses or so, he's warning about those who are teaching that you can't eat certain foods, right? Certain monks felt that way. Uh, Roman Catholic Church, I remember being a nominal Catholic growing up as a kid, not following at all, really, but we couldn't eat meat on Fridays, you know. Could have fish. I thought, isn't this kind of like meat, you know? I like fish, so it was cool with me, but I was like, hmm. And I remember the priest couldn't marry. So when I first started reading the scripture, I was like, newly born again at around 18, I was like, man. You know, and I mentioned that last week, but it's interesting the play that Paul has here. He's talking about these guys talking about eating only certain things. And then Paul goes and he flips his script and says, hey, we're supposed to be what? Since he's bringing up food, we need to be nourished. Nourished is a, a, a word that has to do with obtaining fuel, typically physically. But here's Paul is talking about God's spiritual gym. That you need to make sure you're eating spiritual food. Amen. And you remember last time we were together, I used, I don't know, 10 or 12 different verses throughout the Scripture, a couple from the Old, but mostly from the New Testament, about how God's Word is spiritual food to us. Amen? That Jesus is spiritual food to us. Amen? And we're supposed to be partaking of His Word. It's also milk. It's also called honey. Amen? It's many beautiful things. And, and praise God, we come to service, and when we get together, we eat. Amen? How would you like to feel like you're going to a big buffet Think of, a, think of some one of your favorite kind of foods. Think of, a, think of two or three of your favorite foods and your favorite places to get those foods. And think of all those places conversion to one place. You can have a little of each or whatever. And then you get there and you're just given a couple pretzels. And you just sit there for an hour and a half and all you had was a couple pretzels, you know, some water, but they don't even give you lemon for your water. Wouldn't you feel kind of robbed? Well, that's how a lot of the church is today. People go there, and they're getting a couple pretzels. And they twist those pretzels in fancy ways that, you know, people admire and what have you. But people leave there not filled with the Word of God. Hungry still. That's why we need to read the Word together. And we need to get into the Word. Look at verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the what? Public reading of Scripture to exhortation and teaching, right? So we're supposed to give attention to reading Scripture together. That's why we open the book, amen, and we go from verse to verse and we look at what the Scriptures actually say. So, and, and we need to avoid spiritual junk food because look what he says here. He says to be, in the middle of verse 6, constantly nourished on the words of the faith, and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with what? 
worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other end, you know how back, you know how today there's, you ever, remember the old days when you probably may not have been as cautious and you probably sent something that somebody sent to you on the internet that you saw in an email, you thought, this is an interesting story, and you maybe blasted it to some friends, then you find out later it was not true. Anybody ever do that? Has anybody ever been the recipient of one of those things? Come on, every day. There's all these outlandish, strange stories. Fancy fables, right? Well, they didn't have the internet back then, but they still had those kind of things going on. And Paul said, don't get caught up in all the weirdness, man. Stick to God's word, amen? Yeah, apply God's word, see how what's going on in the world fits with what God says would happen and so forth. That's all important. But don't get caught up too much into weird conspiracy theories today. Okay? You got to be really, really careful. You know? I don't, if something is not documented very clearly to me, I mean, we show a lot of heavy stuff if you look at our videos, but guess what we do? We use footnotes, man. We document what, what we're pointing out and saying, hey, and why do you need to get in the weirdness when the reality is already weird enough, man? You know? I mean, stuff that we expose. Uh, so you got to be really, really careful. Just don't repeat stories as though they're true when you're not sure or you can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, what if there's a lot of evidence, but I'm not positive? Then say, hey, there's a lot of evidence, but I'm not positive. Just be honest, you know? Uh, because we still need to also deal with issues because there's a lot coming down the pike right now that we need to be concerned about. But we want to make, make sure that we're fed on the Word of God. You know how many professing Christians started off strong in the Word then they got caught up in every conspiracy theory and they're not reading the word anymore. And all of a sudden, before you know it, they're not in fellowship anymore. I've seen that with people that used to go here. A few people I could think of got caught up in a lot of weird stuff and it's like, okay, well, that's interesting, you know. But does it nourish your soul, you know? Does it feed you spiritually? Are you stronger in Jesus? We've got to be really, really careful, you guys. It's very, very important. So we want to be nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following, but, but have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. In fact, it's interesting, if you go to chapter 1, when he starts off his book, look what he says in the first few verses. Very, very important. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 3. As I urged you upon my uh, departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may what? Instruct certain men to what? Not to teach strange doctrines. So Paul's saying, hey, I'm telling you this again, even as I told you before. Watch out. Don't let strange doctrines come into the church. And Paul knows there's going to be tickling doctrines that come later that really are going to attract people. And Paul's warning about this. And the very first chapter is really heavy because he goes into that and talks about how certain people uh, have been strained. And look at verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. God wants your heart, man, and a good conscience. He wants you to be walking with God with a good conscience and a sincere faith. He wants your faith in Christ to be sincere. Those, that's one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible for me. For my pastoral ministry, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, right? A good conscience and a sincere faith. That's something I committed to memory for my own walk with Jesus before. But I thought, man, this is really good for my ministry. We need to focus on that reality. But look at verse 6. For some men, what? Strain from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. You don't want to get caught up in fruitless discussion. How many angels can dance on the head of a needle? Let's try to figure it out. You know? 
weird stuff. You don't have to get into all that. Well, what is about stuff that's actually we see the scriptures warned about and strange stuff, but we need to be aware of it? Well, that's if it's biblically warned about, yeah. We want to major in, in what the scriptures say and understand the times in which we live. We want to be like the sons of Issachar. It says the sons of Issachar understood the times, therefore they knew what to do. Amen? We want to understand the times that we live in, and they're definitely crazy. We want to stick to scripture, though. Amen? And it's important because now go to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, just a couple books to your right, right, Paul writing to the young pastor Titus, and look at what he says when he gives the qualifications of an elder. What's one of the qualifications? Verse 9, he must what? Be what? Holding fast to what? The faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort, so he can encourage the brothers and sisters in truth, right? In sound doctrine, and to what? To refute those who what? Contradict. An elder in a church must be able to refute those who contradict false doctrine. That means you don't say, hey, hmm, I want there to be elders in this church, so who's a doctor, who's a lawyer, who's a rich person, who's really popular and make him an elder? That's not biblical. Now, if there's a doctor or a lawyer or, or you know, somebody who's a blessing to a lot of people, but he meets the requirements, praise God. But one of those requirements is that he must exhort in sound doctrine. You can't exhort in sound doctrine unless you are involved and immersed in sound doctrine. And you certainly can't refute those who hold the sound doctrine who are seeking to attack the church if you don't know sound doctrine. You have to be able to defend the, the scriptures. You have to be, Paul said, I'm set for a defense for the gospel. Amen? We need to be watchmen. And elders have to be watchmen. And today, people don't even, you know... When I see the most, one of the most popular pastors in America today, Joel Olstein, not even sure if Mormons are Christians or not, you know, not wanting to judge Hindus or what have you, you know, and I'm like, scratch my head, I'm like, wait a minute, you, you can't even be an elder, you know? But guess what? We're supposed to, it's not just elders, pastors that are supposed to know these things. God says in his word in Ephesians 4, 11 and following, that he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and evangelists and pastors, teachers, right, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. We must be able to, you must be, you should be getting equipped as to what the Word of God says so we can all do the work of ministry. We're all in this together for Jesus, amen? So we want to be fed and we want to get the Word. And so you need to know the counterfeit. You know that, that, that decon rat poisoning is 99.8 or so not deadly. I mean, it's, it's pretty. It won't kill you. But it will kill you if you take it because that very point, what, at zero, two, or whatever percent it is, is positively deadly. It will kill rats. So you want to make sure God's word, you're, you're getting God's word. You're not getting any poison with his word. Amen. In fact, I saw a interesting a couple verses or so in a translation that I was not aware of. And I looked at that and I thought, wow. And I, you know, I thought this is very, very uh, interesting. Try to tell me what gospel account this is from. Okay. In fact, 
an LGBT outlet called The Advocate. They've been a, a gay magazine that's been one of the most popular gay magazines for decades. Before I was even a Christian, it's one of the top, probably the top gay magazine for years and years. LGBT uh, movement is using this following different people. This has gone, I don't know if it's gone viral, but it's being used in the LGBT, LGBTQ community to say that the Bible endorses homosexuality, that Jesus endorsed uh, transgenderism, I should say. And listen to it. Tell me what gospel you think this is out of. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And this is from the advocate, uh, you know, posting this. There's an occultist also, uh, you know, uh, an astrologer too, popular astrologer, uh, John uh, Sun, Sunholm from Your Tango, who's a, a, a columnist who also presented this, this passage. Uh, it, it says, And a woman whose heart was divided between spirit and body came before him in quiet despair, she asked, Lord, I come to you estranged, for my spirit and body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? And the verse goes on to say, Jesus, Jesus looked upon her with kindness, replying, My child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves, for they shall know the deepest truths of my Father's creation. Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman, as all are one in spirit. The gates of my Father's kingdom will open to those who love and are loved. For God looks upon the body, or not upon the body, but on the heart. End quote. Anybody? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? What's that? Satan's gospel. Absolutely, man. That's not from the Bible. Okay. That's, uh, and when you look at the source of that, it's being used to encourage transgenderism and homosexuality and so forth. Those aren't the words of Jesus, man. That's from an, that's an AI-generated Bible verse. Artificial intelligence. Crazy, huh? And people are passing around as though Jesus said this. Oh, an AI is so good, you know? It's so powerful. It's going to revolutionize the way we think. Yeah, you're right. You know? I'm not saying you can't, I mean, use it. You use a cell phone, you have some artificial intelligence there. But where's it all going, you know? And you look at this, and I'm like, oh, it's an AI-generated verse. It's actually generated through chat, GPT, you know? And, uh, and one report states that the verse looks, quote, eerily like, uh, like a legitimate Bible verse, even going so far as to echo the cadence of the gospel writers, end quote. And astrologists, as I mentioned, occultist John uh, Sunholm of Your Tango stated of the AI-generated verses, quote, it's likely much needed given the all-out attacks being launched against transgender people by American right wing, nearly all of it in God's name. He adds, quote, this verse has special resonance in 20, 2023 because of the virulent transphobia and anti-LGBT sentiment and legislation that continues to sweep the country, much of it supported and funded by Christians. So it's like, okay, let's, let's basically pretend the Jesus said this, what it is. They can't find Jesus saying anything even remotely close to that. And it's interesting the way they actually twist certain things. They try to take certain things from the Bible. You know, yeah, it's important that we love one another. Amen. And, and, and the Bible says in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there's neither male nor female, Right? But that means in the kingdom of God that God doesn't, 
God doesn't put a male over a female or a female over a male. Okay? It doesn't mean that God erases gender roles. In fact, he makes it very clear. Husbands and wives, the two, the two shall become one flesh. And God made them, as Jesus said, male and female, that the two would become one. And what God's joined together, let no one separate. Matthew 19. So there's a twisting of a lot of scriptures there. Oh, he says the kingdom of God. You have Jesus saying the kingdom of God is open to all who are loved and who love. Sounds good. Jesus emphasized love. But what is love? Let's not confuse love and lust. Let's not confuse love and confusion. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, what? Obey my commands. And we have the New Testament, which is called the Word of Christ. When we look at the Word of Christ, uh, he forbids us to forgives, forgives, forbids men to be having sex with other men and women with other women and, and so forth. So it's interesting. In fact, uh, I thought it was interesting that the text, this, this twisting by the AI, supposedly, uh, the twisting uh, has Jesus coming out of Jesus' mouth, puts this in Jesus' mouth. The gates of my Father's kingdom will be open to anyone claiming to love. Well, anyone claiming to love? Wow. Basically. Well, the gates of my Father's house will be open to anyone who loves and is, is loved, right? Well, what if you're not loved? That doesn't make sense. Jesus wasn't very loved. He was hated and put on a cross. And to anybody who loves, and I put in my words, we're claiming to love because, because you say you love doesn't mean you're, you're loving. In fact, did you guys know there's an association that's got, one member would be too many, but way too many members, called NAMLA, North American Man-Boy Love Association. And these are men that think that it should be legal for them to have sex with your children, your little children, because they love them. And according to this AI translation, they would be, the kingdom of God is open to them. They can come right in as they are, even though they love little baby boys and little baby girls. This is a wicked perversion. It's not even a perversion of God's word because they're not even starting with God's word, right? It's just AI generated trying to sound Bible-like. Oh, they take a couple things from Scripture and weave them together so you can say a twisting of God's word uh, as well. But it's interesting because when we look at the word of Christ, we read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And that would include by AI. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, right? Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. It says they will not inherit God's kingdom. And the word uh, homosexual is arsenkoitai. Uh, it's a coined word by the Apostle Paul from two uh, words in the Old Testament from the Greek translation, which means men betters, men that bet other men. Okay, it's no mistaking what Paul's saying there. He uses that word in 1 Timothy 1.10, by the way. We've already studied that, where he talks about those who break God's moral law, including the arson cointi, those who kidnap people, those who are involved in homosexuality. And here he also used the word for effeminate, which I'm not going to take time to get into. We've done this a few months back. I got into that Greek word, and that word refers to the men who seek to be like women, who wear perfume and shave themselves and try to present themselves as women. Uh, that's, the Bible deals with these subjects, guys, right? 
God's word says a man shall not put on that which pertains to a woman, and a woman shall not pertain that which belongs to a man. So if I came up here, I'm a big guy, so it would have to be a big dress. I'm wearing a big dress today, you know, with flowers in my hair and lipstick on. That would not be godly. That would not be the heart of God. That would be unbiblical. But according to AI, as long as I'm loved and love, I'm entering God's kingdom. No. We have to go by the word of God. And, and by the way, it's just really crazy that we're talking about AI lately more because it's becoming more and more predominant. When we've been warning for years in Revelation 13, it says that the people will be commanded by the false prophet to create an image of the beast, right? And that image of the beast will be able to speak. It's artificial intelligence. It's created by man. It's artificial intelligence. Maybe even demonized artificial intelligence, I think. And it'll be made in the image of the beast. It might look just like the Antichrist. And that the image of the beast will cause people to take the mark of the beast. In the right hand of the forehead, Revelation 13, 16 through 18, it says he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the bond, to be given the mark of the right hand or their forehead. And no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark of the beast or the name of the beast or the number of the name, which is 666. It's crazy that this stuff is... There's things going on today that weren't going on when I was warning about this stuff years ago that are happening right now. And now more and more people are giving attention to AI and they're trying to rewrite the Bible based on AI. There's not one single solitary Greek manuscript that resembles what I just read to you or English translation that resembles it either. In fact, those words aren't even a translation of the Bible. They're just somebody feeding into AI. Make this sound biblical that transgenderism is accepted by Christ and they're going to heaven or something like that. They spit it in the AI spits it out in a very eloquent way, making it sound like the Bible. And it's basically the word of man regurgitated through AI and ultimately becoming the word of Satan. Am I losing you? Are you with me tonight? Should I avoid these things? Or are you glad I'm talking about these things? It doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to talk about it anyway because that's who we are. Because we need to refute the lies out there. We need to be aware of what's going on. And that's what Paul's talking about. I mean, he's warning about spiritual junk food. And that's spiritual junk food, man. When people are twisting God's word to basically justify wicked lifestyles. It's not the heart of God, you guys. So uh, let's go back now to the text. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 7 now. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, what? Instead of getting, being nourished by the God's word, that's important. But on the other hand, what? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Wow. You guys, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You don't need to be any, you don't, you know, hopefully God will still convict you, amen, convict all of us to press in more, amen. But praise God, you can say, thank you, Jesus, because here you are tonight, amen. amen. And even if you're, you're, you know, you're watching through a live stream or watching through, you know, you're in the Word, you're getting the Word with us, you're disciplining yourself unto godliness. Amen. Okay, that's important, that's, you made a good choice. And it's interesting because Paul uses, he's getting this health, he's taking the whole health thing about avoiding certain foods and so forth, and he's turning it on its head, saying, you know what, you need to focus on doing the right thing for your spiritual health. 
because he's talking about being nourished on godly words, amen? And now look at the context. It's really very interesting when he says discipline. On the other hand, instead of getting the weird stuff, getting all out there, you know, living on conspiracy theories rather than the Word of God, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Be disciplined about being a godly person, amen? Now, this is important because he's talking about being disciplined and the Greek word for discipline there is gumnazo. You would transliterate it G-U-M-N-A-Z-O, gumnazo. Or you could transliterate it that way in English. Gumnazo is the word discipline. Guess what English word, maybe some of you may know, what English word comes from gumnazo? Somebody said it. Gymnasium. That's right, gymnasium. And the Greeks would have recognized this. Paul's using the word for gymnasium here. And gymnasiums were basically... That was a big part of Greek and then Roman culture. Romans got it from the Greeks. They built gymnasiums all over the place. The first Olympics were started by the Greeks. Timothy is half Greek, right? So Paul's getting his attention. And Paul, you love to use sports analogies. You use them all the time. Over and over again, he uses sports analogies and uh, words that have to do with the sports of the day. But he uses them in such a way where he says, hey, guys, be focused on God's gym. Amen. So gymnazo, we get gymnasium, but he's speaking of a spiritual gymnasium, which is what the church is. It's many things. We just talked about the church as a restaurant. Amen. We serve the word of God, but it's also a gymnasium. It's pretty cool. I mean, you know how much it would cost to go to a, a, a gymnasium where you could work out and then you could have a really good meal. And then if you got sick, they'd take care of you because it's a hospital too and all kinds of things like that and go on and on and on. And it's also a travel agency. You know, so you can book your... That'd be awesome, but guess what? We have something better than that because that's what the church is spiritually. It's a restaurant. It's a hospital, right? We get help. We pray for each other. You know, it's a, it, it's a gymnasium, restaurant, hospital. It's a travel agency. Amen. Travel where? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. To heaven. Amen. The best travel agency. Amen? The, the church is awesome. It's many more things than that. And we all work for Jesus. We're all ministers at this church. That's a cool thing, too. Usually there's a couple people, you know, at a gymnasium. But in the church, we all minister, amen? amen. We all help each other. At least we're supposed to be doing that. Amen. And in the Greco-Roman world, you know, uh, in Roman culture, it was the gymnasium. The gym was a huge deal. And it's interesting, too, because uh, it's interesting because he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The word godliness there is eusebia. And Eusebia is a compound word, you, okay? You, which you could translate it just with E-U, uh, and then, and then uh, Sibia. And it's interesting because the Greek word means to, well, you speaks of someone and you, and then uh, you, uh, Eusebia actually uh, comes from you, you, the word you, E-U, comes from you, logo, okay, you, logo. And you might remember, what is Jesus? He's the word of God. He's the logos, amen? amen. So you, logo, if I pronounce the Omicron with the ah sound instead of an O sound. Uh, but if you say you, logo, or you, logo, you, logo means to, logo means to speak, message. You means of someone. means to speak well of someone. So how does that, why does that mean, how is that translated to godliness? Well, the context of the word godliness there means that your life is supposed to speak well of Jesus, you know, that you are a living epistle, 
not written by man, but by, written by, by God, the ink of the, by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the second word translated godliness is sebomai, which means to be reverent or devout. So he uses the word godliness twice there. In fact, if you look at verse 7 again, but at uh, verse, the end of verse 6, that is, uh, or verse 7, I'm sorry, the end of verse 7. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Okay? For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness, there it is again, is profitable for all things. Now, it's interesting because we're supposed to be exercising ourselves spiritually. Amen? And he says, and now look at how he contrasts these in verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for women. On the other hand, discipline yourself. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of what? Little profit, but godliness is, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is what? Profitable for all things. I love this. Since it holds promise for the present life, going to the gym helps you in the present life. A little. It's a little bit. Oh, I found great advantages from being physically fit and eating right. And yeah, but they're just little compared to don't hold a card to the spiritual. Do you understand that? That's the contrast here. Maybe be great for you physically. might even you know, give you a few years to your life. Some studies show that exercise only puts out a very small, adds a little, very little bit of your life. Some of the studies I've heard about, but I'm not sure exactly. For some people, it can make all the difference, though. If you have a bad heart problem, if you're eating really bad and you're on the verge of a heart attack, and then you start exercising, eating right, you can get many years. So I don't necessarily agree with some of those studies, or at least there's outliers, right? But bodily exercise or discipline is only a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Sentence holds promise for the life of the present life and what? Also for the life to come. Now, physical exercise isn't going to help you much in the life to come. And if you neglect physical exercise, I'm not saying to neglect all physical exercise. I try to do some kind of exercise almost every day of the week. I don't always hit every day of the week. I don't hit Sundays hardly ever, you know. Once in a while, I'll hit a Sunday, do something. I try to do a little something, whether it's a walk or some kind of exercise. I try to eat pretty healthy, you know. But I also eat, you know, my fear of yummy yum food too, you know. Uh, but I try to eat moderately, for the most part, healthy, and bone broth and a lot of veggies and good meat and don't get me going. But there's a lot of good food out there the Lord's made, you know. Uh, but guess what? There's no contest between my, in my life between f- physical food and physical exercise and the spiritual. That's my wife, you know. What takes most of my time up throughout the day. It's, and it should be that way with all of us. In fact, it's, how many of you spend more time in the gym than you do in fellowship? Okay, got to ask those questions. It's important that we, we ask those questions. Uh, how many do you spend more time physically exercising than you do in the Word of God? And, and in song and, and, and praise and, and worship, you know? But man, you know, it's not fair because I need to do this and I got to walk. Well, guess what? When you walk, did you know you can bring a Bible verse with you? Or you can listen to a message or listen to the Word of God, right? That's the neat thing about it. I love, I love to go walking. And one reason I love to walk and hike, I love to go hiking, is I get the, the double whammy, man. I get to get some exercise. I get to take my dog out or go out with my wife or my grandkids or whoever or friend or, you know, you do that biking as well. I love to do it alone because, as well because I love to memorize Scripture when I'm just walking. 
It gives me an incentive. It's like, we should always be in the Word, you see? And, and they say, well, I can't memorize Scripture very well. That means you should try even more. Just get one verse and say the first few words over and over again until you got them down. Then add a few more words. And then add a few more words. Yeah, but Joe, sometimes I try to memorize the Word of God. It never sticks. But you know what? A young man said to his pastor, I try to memorize the Bible, but it's really kind of useless because I really can't memorize any Scriptures. The pastor said, that's okay. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, what happens to a sieve? He goes, what do you mean? He goes, if you run water through a sieve, it doesn't catch it, does it? The young man says, yeah, ex exactly. He goes, yeah, but it remains clean, huh? Because the water's constantly clean, amen? And even if you think, man, I don't retain a lot of Scripture, guess what? Keep the Scripture in you. We're supposed to meditate, it, meditate on it day and night. And that's related to that word ruminate for a cow, right? How does a cow get big and strong? By constantly chewing the cud, right? Ruminating, regurgitating. You do that with God's word, you get strong spiritually. And just as a cow gets big and strong and gives us the yummy milk and yummy, yummy meat, amen? Praise God for, you know. <laughs> I'm going to get back into, yeah, steak, amen, ribeyes, right? If you like filet mignon or uh, milk, it comes from the cow. Guess what? When you get in God's word and you stay in it, guess what you produce? Milk and meat too. You produce the milk of God's word. You bless other people because it comes out of you now. And you produce meat for others. You help them and you, you help spiritually nourish people because you're in God's word. Amen? And that's what we're called to do as, as Christians. But it's important because sometimes, and I'm just being honest with you guys. I mean, I'm, I'm just like you. We all uh, struggle. We all, all want to try to do better. We all want to grow, you know? I get convicted by the same scriptures you do about needing to grow more, the Lord stretching me, you know. Uh, where in one of the scriptures that really convicts me when I see it is, you know, Jesus is ready to die. He's going to go to the cross for his disciples and lay his life down for them, right? And what are they doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? Sleeping. And what did he say to them? Could you not what? Could you not spend one hour praying with me? That's convicting. Amen. And that convicts me to want to pray more. So in other words, he wants us to be in God's gym more, Jesus does. Amen? Amen. Wants to spend more time in prayer, more time in the Word. Amen? Now, we're not, we're not saved by how much time we spend in the Word or how much time we spend in prayer. We're saved by the, by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. But we discipline and we grow spiritually more and become more like Christ. We become more, become more useful to Him as we serve Him and as we grow and we spend time at God's gym. Amen? You're at God's gym today. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Here you are. That's a good thing. Good choice. Should you really be pitting God's gym against the worldly? Well, that's what Paul's doing. He's not saying the worldly gym's evil. He's just saying, well, it can be evil. You've got to be careful, right? If you're stumbling there, find another gym or work out at home, right? But if, uh, what he is saying, though, is that it has very little benefit compared to the Word of God in getting to God's gym. Amen? That's critical that we understand that. And that we major in being at God's gym, feeding on His Word, nourishing ourselves at His gym. Amen? That's very, very important. Could you not spend one hour with me? Praying is so important. And we need to put greater emphasis on, oh man, I just want to go and I just need to go to the gym because it inspires me. There's a big mirror there and I do knee bends. Do knee bends for Jesus. Get on your knees and start praying. You know? <laughs> Oh, well, I want to lift, man. I want to do that. I like to do the military press and lift my hands. Come here, man, and lift your hands and praise to Jesus. Amen. Well, I like to get to the treadmill and run. The Bible says run the race to win the spiritual race. Amen. That you might receive the crown of life. Amen. So we need to exercise ourselves spiritually. Amen. And that's so important that we get this. Uh, 
This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games, he's talking about the Olympic-type games of those days, exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. Therefore, run in such a way as not without aim. I box, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Remember that passage? Man, he's using basically, you know, the games of those days. And he's saying they are working their butts off, man. They're working tirelessly to get a wreath that will just fade away in time. He goes, you ought to be doing that for the eternal crown. Amen. I love James chapter 1, verse 12, where he contrasts it with the life of sin and how, um, you know, those who are tempted are carried away, he says, with, uh, you know, and enticed with lust. And when lust uh, conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And he says, be not deceived, my, my beloved brethren. But right next to that, he says in verse 12, he says uh, that those who, you know, he talks about blessed. He says blessed. You want to be blessed? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Right? Why? Because he says that once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which God gives, will give to all those. Has promised, he said actually, has promised to give to all those who love him. Amen? How many want to receive the crown of life? Stay in love with the Lord. Don't let your wax grow cold. Your, your love wax cold. Amen? Stay close to Jesus. And I tell you what, how do we persevere under trials? You can't. If you don't work out physically and all of a sudden you have to lift some stuff, man. I mean, we're moving stuff out of Lisa's house today and there's a big old refrigerator there. And I had the dolly and I have to take it off the truck. You know, I'm 60 years old and just weeks away, you know. And I'm like, okay. And her brother Gary is down below. And I'm like, and it did it. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the dolly. Amen. But I thought, man, if I didn't exercise at all physically, it'd be really hard to do that. So I'm getting older. Amen? <laughs> I'm getting older, you know? But guess what? If you don't exercise spiritually, I'd much rather have that thing break my back than not receive the crown of life. Because my back is just a temporal thing, which I value. And I say, thank you, Lord. So I want to be wise still. But you know what? You want to receive the crown of life. And Paul says, I beat my body down, so after I preach to others, I myself would not become disqualified. The word in the Greek means rejected. Oidakamas. Dakamas, dakamas means to, is something that's like gold or silver that goes through the fire and it's approved. Adakamas, with an A in front, the word A, the letter A is the Greek word alpha, okay? And the alpha before a word typically negates the next word. Like someone who believes in God is one who's called a, is called theist. Theist, not atheist, theist. But one who is an atheist is one who doesn't believe in God. One who claims knowledge is, you know, gnosis. But agnostic means someone I don't know anything about what's, if there's a God or not, you know? So the word adakamas that Paul uses means to not be approved before God. And James is the one who says that if we're approved, we'll receive the crown of life if we endure trials. But you can't endure the trials that are coming up if you're not even enduring the little trials now. 
As Jeremiah says, you know, how can you run with the uh, chariots later if you can't even run with the foot soldiers now? How can you run with the horses and the chariots later in the thickets of the Jordan? So the little trials you go through when you exercise physically prepare you for more physical feats later. How much more important it is that you're spiritually growing so you can overcome the trials that you face later. Because the, as James says, we're born under trials as, we, as the sparks fly upward. And as James says earlier in chapter 1, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Amen. Knowing that the test of your faith produces endurance. You want endurance? You need to get some endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result. Amen. What's the perfect result? That you might be perfect, right? Complete, lacking nothing. So we grow through our trials, and that's why we go to the spiritual gym. Amen. If you spend only five or ten minutes at a physical gym, you're not going to benefit a lot, right? Twenty minutes, people go in twenty minutes in and out, talk a little bit, only hit one machine for a few reps, and then they're done. Oh, not a difference is going to show up with their lives. And praise the Lord, I appreciate that you come to our spiritual gym here. We don't do just twenty minutes, do we? <laughs> right? That we get a good workout, make you think. I had a brother, an elder. He's been an elder in the church for a long time, and then he moved. And then he called me after some time and said, Joe, man, I got away from the Lord a little bit, man. He goes, I started listening to Christian radio. And there's some Christian radio that's actually really good. There's some Christian radio that's not so good. He goes, I was listening to messages where they're just using like one or two verses. I thought, wow, this is easy. So my spiritual life, I wasn't challenged anymore. You know, I was just listening to a couple verses and thought I could get by. And I just wasn't really pressing it anymore. And he goes, Joe. My walk became incredibly weak with the Lord. I'm like, what happened to me? He said, I started sticking your messages in again. And he goes, man, I'm on fire again, you know? Because and it's not my messages, but he's listening to messages that are filled with the Word of God, you know, where he's being encouraged, he's being strengthened, he's being challenged, you know. He came up here and said he, he wanted to, he gave a speech to the church about his little, his pilgrimage there and testified a few years ago about that, maybe four or five years ago now. Great brother. So, man, we're doubly blessed when we spiritual exercise because we're not only blessed in this life, but in the life to come, amen? Because we get to bear the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the peace, the joy, the long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and meekness, things we wouldn't otherwise have in this world, amen? But we also get Jesus forever, eternal life, amen? There's no more death, no more sickness. Praise God. So let's try to work out spiritually every day, amen? Let's look at verses 9 and 10. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of who? All men, especially of believers. I want to take at least verses 9 and 10, the first part of verse 10, at least today, and uh, because it fits with our theme of working out at God's gym. Now look at what he says. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God. So we exercise ourselves. We go to uh, exercise ourselves in God's gym, Gumnazo, and we are dedicated to it and we're nourished on God's word, Right? Because we have our eyes fixed on the living, on the hope of the living God. Amen. The name of this fellowship is called Blessed Hope Chapel. I was at a praying pastors meeting today, Wednesdays, uh, 
I can't always make it, but I was able to make it today. And the Gideons were speaking, and I was meeting some uh, different brothers and so forth. It was a great time. And one of them said, what's the name of your fellowship? Oh, Blessed Hope Chapel. He's a new pastor in town. Blessed Hope Chapel. Bless. I go, yeah, it's the second coming of Christ, man. Titus chapter 2. The blessed hope of Jesus. We're looking for his return. Amen. And uh, he is our blessed hope. Amen. We're not, looking, we're not looking for Christ's coming so we can escape troubles. We're looking for Christ's coming because he's Jesus and he's coming. And it says he has this hope in his coming, purifies himself even as he pure, is pure. We're looking forward to his coming because we get to be with our Lord forever. Amen. Amen. And right now we get to experience his spirit and his love. And he lives in us. But we get to experience him in his fullness when he returns and we'll be made like him. Amen. We're longing for his return. And it's a trip because here, look at what he says. Verse 10, for it is this we, it's for this that we, this we labor and what? Labor, meaning we go forward, we press on and strive. Strive. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God. One of my favorite songs, which one of the brothers just mentioned it recently, is Let's Press On. I learned that as a new Christian. Let's press on to know the Lord, you know. I'll spare you my singing, you know. But let's press on to know the Lord. And, uh, and we need to press on. But notice the word strive there. The word strive, I think, is very interesting because the word strive, strive is a very interesting Greek word. And uh, strive in English, it seems like just simple, such a simple uh, Greek word. Right now, they've, they've made the cuts I mean, they just did. If you, if you're, if you like the NFL, uh, if you like NFL, the season's going to start in like a week and a half, right? And they just, they just cut a lot of players. There's 90 players on each team. And they used to cut and have a couple different cuts. But now they wanted guys to be able to have, now they just made a whole cut to the 53, from 90 to 53. So man, you've made it from college. You've got picked up. You're on a team. You're drafted or, you, or you're an undrafted free agent. And you're just fighting like crazy. You're striving to make the team. But only 53 of those 90 don't get cut. And some of the guys that get cut will get put on a practice squad, squad or picked up by another team on waivers or what have you. But guess what? They're striving to make the team. Well, it's interesting because Christians are also called to strive. We're called to strive. In fact, we strive to get in. How so? Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, they, somebody said to Jesus, is it true, Jesus, that only a few people shall be saved? He said, strive to enter the narrow gate. For time will come when many will seek to enter, but will not be able to. You know what the Greek word translated as strive there is? It's the same Greek word translated as strive right here. Agonizomai. Agonizomai, Jesus said. Agonizomai to get in the narrow gate. Agonizomai. What? English word do you suppose we get from agonizomai? Agonize. And that fits. In fact, it might even fit better than strive because it sounds a little more descriptive. Agonizomai. Agonize to go through the narrow gate. Amen? And it's interesting because the word agonizomai comes from, you know, the, word, the, the root, or the, the word, not the root, but the word agon, A-G-O-N, or agon, agon, you know, A-G-O-N. And agon was actually used for stadiums where they had the races, where they had the wrestling matches, where they had the fights, right? 
And it's interesting because Paul uses that word in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. He uses it twice, the word that's related to agonizomai. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. The word fight, okay? That's just fascinating to me because fight is agonizu, right? The good fight, agona, okay? Same words, basically. Fight, uh, agonizu, the good fight, agona, of faith. Take hold on what? Take hold of what? Look at 1 Timothy 6.12. What is it supposed to take hold of? Take hold of the... Are you at 1 Timothy 6.12? Somebody yell it out. Take hold of what? Are we at the wrong verse? 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the what? Eternal life to which you were called. And you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Man, we're supposed to fight the good fight? We're supposed to agonize. We're supposed to, the word fight. We're supposed to fight, guys. And it's just very interesting because the word agonizomai or the word agon, the words referred to a contest where the athletes, was, it was used in athletics for those who would strive, the wrestlers, the runners that would press forward uh, in the battle to, they would strive to go forward and to win. In fact, it's interesting, the Olympic Games the term Olympic Games that was used, the word they, they used in, at this period of time, was literally uh, Olympikoi Agones. Agon. Agonismai. Agon. Agon, right? Olympikai Agones. Okay? And uh, Agones. There it is. That's what they would say. So everybody saw that word, and Paul's taking that word and using that word for strive. He's using that gymnazo gym, right? Nourish, feed yourself spiritually, right? Agonizomai, spiritually. He's saying you are Christian athletes, okay? And it's far more important. Physical exercise is good for little. It's good. He's, he's not saying there's no value. Don't condemn those who exercise physically. In fact, we could all use some physical exercise. A little, right? It's good for a little. But guess what? You should major in spiritual exercise, amen? Be in the Word of God. Be in prayer. Worship the Lord. Be a person of thanksgiving. Don't, don't forsake, as Hebrews 10 says, the assembly of yourselves together. Don't stop going to the spiritual gym, amen? And there's people that have gone to the gym for years and years and years, and they've never stopped. I admire that. But you know what? You should have even more of that mentality that, hey, going to church and being in fellowship is something I just do. It's not negotiable. I need to be at God's gym, amen? And just like it's not negotiable whether you eat or not, it shouldn't be negotiable whether you feed on God's word or not, Amen? And guess what? You don't just go to the gym and eat. Because if you go to the gym and sit there and just eat, but you don't exercise, you're not going to grow. Amen? So you need to apply what you're reading and what you're hearing. Amen? And be not just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. It says not hearers only. Amen? And you need to strive. Amen? I was like, wait a minute. Strive? I mean, how do we strive to enter the narrow gate? It's about, it's about the will. It's about you choosing Jesus. When you first are presented with the gospel, don't think there's no striving involved. Because guess what your flesh says when you're presented with the truth of Jesus Christ and you're called to repent, metanoia, have a change of heart, change of mind, and turn to Jesus. What happens? Your flesh challenges you. It says, no! All right? No, you don't want to do that. And what you, you have to do is you have to agonize the mind and say, because nobody just says, oh yeah, I'm just going to follow Jesus, man. 
Praise God. No, there's a fight going on. Fight the good fight. You got to say, no, I'm going to put Jesus first in my life. Your flesh didn't want to be here today. But he said, no, I'm going. Is this the right thing to do? I want to please God, right? Uh, <laughs> circumstances. Can, sometimes they can really stand in your way, right? You got to say, no, I don't care what the circumstances say around me. I'm going to go forward in Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh, circumstances before you come to Christ, circumstances while you're following Jesus, trials that you face. You need agonizomai. You need to say, no, I'm going to strive. I'm going to agonize through these things and keep following Jesus, even though it hurts at times, right? So the flesh will resist God's will. Uh, your mind sometimes will struggle uh, to trust you know, what the Lord God says, and you need to walk by faith and not by sight, right? People will stand in opposition to you, right? Maybe a spouse or a family member or, or a friend will try to dissuade you from following Jesus, but you need to agnizomai and say, no, I'm going to strive to put him first, amen? amen? The devil, amen? The principalities and powers who are war against you will try with all their might to keep you from going to God's gym and being involved in the word, Right? And when you have all these things collectively working together against you, you bet you have to agonize am I. You have to say, no, I'm going to put Jesus first. And praise God, you'll be blessed in Christ because you've agonized am I in the name of Jesus. Amen? And the good news is, because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, he that endures to end will be what? Saved. And I just want to hear the commander-in-chief say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen? And look what Paul says. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll close with this. I love this. Verse 6. We'll go to verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I am ready to be, uh, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have what? Fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who what? Have loved his appearing. Amen. Brothers and sisters, man, stick to God's gym. Amen. Because guess what? A lot of people got cut in the NFL recently. Let's make sure we're not cut because we become a docamas, because we refuse to press on in the faith. Amen? Let's press on to the end in Jesus' name. Amen? Praise God. Can we all please stand?